You're listening to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, your daily podcast on the National Football League, powered by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show. We've got a special guest on today's program. We'll be chatting with Alex Clancy of Locked On Cardinals, trying to figure out what the heck's going on with those Arizona Cardinals. Are they good? Are they bad? Are they somewhere in between? They're going to be a playoff team. That's for sure. How will they fare in January? We've got the playoff picture here and a couple of your listener questions. At BD Peacock, at Williamson NFL is where you can find me, Brian Peacock, and Matt Williamson. Matt, uh, how are things here? Are you excited for this this playoff picture to become clearer in Week 18? We've got the breakdown here, and uh, it is much more difficult to figure out for the AFC than the NFC, so I guess we should start with the AFC side. Yeah, let's, let's dig in. I just want to make, you know, we'll do a short little segment here, let everyone aware of what every team needs and, you know, what they're actually playing for. And some of you folks that are doing DFS this week need to realize that, you know, this team's going to rest everybody or if they get a big lead, they might just pull pull their quarterback out in the fourth quarter. And everyone knows the last week of the season's a little odd. Yeah, oddball stuff. And this is our first ever week 18. So uh, yeah, it should be yeah. a lot of fun. We've got five of seven teams clinched in the AFC. So we do know most of the playoff teams seeding is very much to be decided still. The Bengals are NFC or AFC North champions. The Kansas City Chiefs are AFC West champions. The Tennessee Titans are AFC South champions. They are all three in the playoffs. We still don't know about the AFC East, but we do know that the Bills and the Patriots are both in the playoffs seeding Again, to be decided. But of all those teams, the Bills are the only one that cannot be the one seed in the AFC, which is mm, super okay. interesting. So, But those five teams are in the playoffs. Now, as it pertains to the Baltimore Ravens, let's start there and just roll through this alphabetical here in the AFC. Baltimore, to get into the playoffs, they need to win. They're playing your Pittsburgh Steelers Sunday. They need the Chargers to lose, they need the Colts to lose, and they need Miami Miami to either lose or tie. So that's a lot of help the Baltimore Ravens need at 8-8, eight and eight, and it's looking very unlikely. Yes, and here's the question I keep getting in Pittsburgh is, do you think they'll play Lamar? I mean, it sounds like, I mean, it's been week after week that Harbaugh's kind of, oh, yeah. you know, maybe he'll play, but I keep thinking Harbaugh knows he's not going to play, and maybe this week's a little closer. I think you said him. Really, as for a chance at, and they're playing the early game, so they don't get to see if some of these other teams win and if they're eliminated yet. They've got to they've got to play as if they're going to make the playoffs. You don't think they play an injured or a, a less than hundred percent Lamar to try to get into the playoffs? I just think it's. Uh, I think he's pretty injured. <laughs> you know, like I yeah. maybe I'm looking too much into it. I just think even though he said every Tuesday and Wednesday, oh, we think Lamar might be ready this week, that. He's just, you know, playing games. Right. I mean, yeah. He's trying to make it more difficult practice, for like I mean, he hasn't practiced at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Uh your your big picture. You're looking into next year for those uh for those Ravens or a a, a better Lamar in the playoffs if they do somehow sneak in. Yeah, I mean, if he just can't protect himself out there yeah. or be his usual mobile self, I mean, he's a much better deep passer than Huntley and that has a lot of value like all the A dot stuff has drastically gone down since Huntley's been in there, and it's a lot of short throws. So, I mean, even as a passer, he has value. You know, of course, he's a great player. But if he's a 50 50 type guy, I think I'd probably lean towards no, but maybe I'm crazy. I, I, I'm real curious how it shakes out. 
So what's interesting is the Bills do have the tiebreaker over the New England Patriots. So all the Bills have to do is win, and they will be the AFC East champions. And if they lose, they need the New England Patriots to lose, or if both teams tie, the Buffalo Bills will win, and uh, they'll be one of the top four seeds. They'll, they, they'll be either... They'll pretty much be seed four. Uh, basically, at this point, the Bills are going to be four or five is what it's looking like um, right now. And New England will be the other. Right, exactly. Um, because both both of those teams will be in the playoffs. It's just who is going to have the home field advantage if they happen to meet in those playoffs and who will be the... Well, which the, means they the play team. each other in week one. Oh, if it's... Oh, or wait a second. wild card round. Yes, four and five... <laughs> So do you not even show your hand? Uh, right, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it. Yeah, that. you know what? I didn't. Although it could be uh, the Bills, if the Bengals lose, could be the three seed too. Yeah, I know that. They, I know they can't get the one. They can't get to one, like but they could be two or three, depending on what happens with the Chiefs and the Bengals. So you play to win, but you don't put. You know, if, if you're up big, you get Allen out of the game. Yes. And, you know, right? Yeah, I think that would make sense there. Um, let's move on to the Cincinnati Bengals, who need to win. Tennessee needs to lose, Kansas City needs to lose, and New England needs to lose or tie for the Bengals to become the one seed. At 10-6, and six, there's two teams with 11 wins above them, which are Tennessee and Kansas City. So both of them would have to lose for the Bengals to get the one seed. Otherwise, they'll be uh, the two or the three, or maybe the four going into the playoffs, depending on if they win or lose. And obviously, there's only that one bye. So that, that one seed is really important now uh, in these playoff matchups uh in in the 2022 playoffs i don't have a great feel for what's really going to happen and i keep leaning towards sit everybody but the beating burrow took and he couldn't even quite finish last week's game i think i'm sitting him matt's just sitting everybody here sit them all, I, I think I mean, that only the, one team gets a buy <laughs> i think that the co the coaching staffs will disagree with you Hard as heck on that. I think these guys are going to be, be very right. Yeah, I think they're going to play everybody, and you're always playing to win the game. It's like the famous quote. I think we're going to see everybody play, and everyone's going to be fighting for the best possible seed and situation that they can. Indianapolis Colts, they are at the Jacksonville Jaguars. That looks like a pretty good matchup for the Colts here in Week 18, but crazier things have happened. If they win, they are in. Uh, they even can tie, and they could be in the playoffs here and be the uh, one of those last two wild card teams they cannot win the division so it'll be either six or seven for them if they do win if the chargers lose plus there is a baltimore or pittsburgh tie then they can get in or with the chargers loss and a pittsburgh loss and a miami win so that's an interesting one if they lose basically the colts got a win in their end yeah i mean uh, we'll, we'll get to the Steelers, but the Steelers are one of the teams that absolutely needs the Jags to win. Yes. So best of luck with that. Yeah, good luck there, Ben. <laughs> it was a good run, uh, and I feel like there might be even a little bit of a letdown against those um, against those Baltimore Ravens this week. Let's let's talk about the Steelers mm-hmm. since you you brought them up there. Um, basically, Pittsburgh needs to win, Colts need to lose, and. As long as Las Vegas and the and the the Chargers don't end in a tie, because then they would have the tiebreaker and they would have the same nine seven and one records. So as long as it's not a tie with Las Vegas and the Chargers, and as long as the Colts lose to the Jaguars and Pittsburgh wins, seems very unlikely. But that is the scenario for the Pittsburgh Steelers to get in. Yeah, I mean they, they need the Jags to win. So good luck with that. Kansas City Chiefs, if they want the one seed, they've got to win, and Tennessee has to lose. That's it. Those are the two 11-win teams in the AFC. If one wins and the other loses, that team is 
the one seed in the AFC. This is the good one. This is Raiders Chargers, and it will be prime time Sunday night, the last game of the regular season. One team is in and one team is out unless they tie. Unless they tie, Matt. So uh, if the Raiders win. Playoff starts Sunday night. Yep, this is a playoff game. If the Raiders win, they are in, and the Chargers are out. If the Chargers win, the Raiders still could get in, and this is what they would need. They would need the Colts to lose and Pittsburgh to either lose or tie. So it's not impossible for the Raiders to – To to still not get in, and then the Chargers and Raiders would both be in if the Chargers win that. But the Chargers do have to win in this one. There's no other ways about it. Um, And if it is a tie, that would mean the Chargers are in, and Las Vegas is in if Indy loses again to the who are they playing again? The Jaguars, right? So it's looking a lot like it's going to be Colts who beat the Jaguars, handle their business against the worst team in the NFL currently, and whoever wins between the Chargers and Raiders, if you want the simplest uh, bit of all this, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be the Colts and whoever wins between Chargers and Raiders, right? I I think so. (laughs) What everyone is holding out hope around here is that the Colts have lost, it's either six or seven in a row in Jacksonville, including week one last year when the Jags didn't win another game. I don't think the Jags are going to win or beat oh, that anybody, was, but that—that that was know. the Jaguars' win, Week One against the Colts last year. <laughs> exactly. Wow, that's right. Okay, uh, and that's that's the that's the that's the scenario. That's like let's root for chaos scenario. Is the Jaguars beat the Colts? They can win, and then things get very interesting. Right. Then it's not chalky at all. All right. Um, let's move on to the NFC really quick. It's a very, very clear picture in the NFC. And then we'll talk to Alex Clancy about those Arizona Cardinals who are very much uh, in the playoffs. Six of seven teams in the NFC have clinched. The Packers are the one seed that is done. Then it's the division leaders, Cowboys, Bucks, Cardinals, and Rams. And the Rams, if they win, they will be the winner there. And they will be either two, three or four with the Cowboys and Buccaneers. Then the, whoever is the second place NFC West team between the Cardinals and the Rams will be the five seed. And the Philadelphia Eagles have clinched one wild card berth, so they will either be the six or the seventh seed. So now it comes down to the San Francisco 49ers and the New Orleans Saints. Those are the only, only two teams vying for the seventh and final wild card spot. If the 49ers win, very simple. If the 49ers beat the Rams, they are in and they are the sixth seed, and the Eagles are the seventh seed. If the 49ers lose, and the New Orleans Saints win, then that means the Saints are in, they are the seven seed, and the Eagles are the six seed. Those are the only possible scenarios with those wild card teams. And do you have a feeling, before we get to Clancy and those Cardinals, how things are going to go there with those last couple spots in the NFC, Matt? I would feel pretty confident in your Niners. I mean, do you as well at this point, or are you just kind of nervous about it? Well, Las Vegas seems to think that the Saints have a better chance of beating the Falcons than the 49ers do beating the Rams. And I, I guess that makes sense. I that knew. makes sense. And that's the scenario that knocks the 49ers out, a three-way tie. At 9-8, and, uh, and eight, the Niners are out, even though they have the tiebreaker over the Rams straight up, which is why they are uh, against the Eagles straight up, which is why they would have the sixth seed instead of the seventh seed if just those two teams are tied. 
But the 49ers really look good against the Rams. The Rams are playing for a title, so they're going to still be playing everybody as well, too. So there's something to play for there. Um, You know, division opponents with the Saints and the Falcons. uh, I don't know if it's, you know, neither one of these games are clearly one team is going to beat the other. But Vegas does like the odds of the Saints winning and the 49ers losing. And I understand why those are the odds. But. Man, yeah. uh, and we don't even know who the quarterback is going to be for the 49ers. So this is going to be very interesting here in Week 18. I think the 49ers are a better team than both the Eagles and the Saints. The Niners have already beaten the Eagles this year, but they could still be on the outside looking in with this whole thing if it's a three-way tie. I'm sitting here thinking, what does Atlanta do? You know, I mean, I think Pitts is fighting an injury, so I would be shocked if he plays. But we haven't seen, you know, late, you know, in the in the week practice reports. Is, is Matt, Matt Ryan's ailing bones need a break? Does he only play a little? I mean, it's not like they have a first-round quarterback they want to get in there or something anyway. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, not that Atlanta's loaded with star power to sit down either way. Fascinating stuff. Uh, it it's is. going to be fun. These are playoff games in Week 18, especially for the 49ers, uh, for the Chargers and Raiders. Same. You've got to win to get in. And that's what I like about this uh, new format here with more teams. It does make things a lot more intriguing here in our first ever Week 18. Matt and I are going to start breaking down those games tomorrow and start previewing Week 18. Next, let's talk. Let's stick in the NFC West here and talk Arizona Cardinals and how they are taking shape heading into the tournament next. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bars make it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. Best of all, Built Bars contain only one, most Built Bars, they, they vary slightly, but most Built Bars contain only 130 calories, only 4 grams of net sugar, only 4 grams of net carbs, and 21 grams of protein. Some have a little bit more protein and maybe 10 more calories. Uh, compare that to a candy bar, which is usually 240 calories and 30 grams of sugar with dozens of net carbs. So you feel satisfied with all that protein, and you feel good about yourself, and you feel like you ate something delicious. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. And by the third week of your New Year's resolution, you're thinking, ah, oh, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? Well, Built Bars are covered in 100% real delicious chocolate so go to built.com use promo code locked 15 to get 15 percent off your order that is promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off at built.com joining us now is co-host of locked on cardinals you know him on twitter as at clancy's corner this is alex clancy uh, Bo brock not joining us today it, it's odd to talk to you alex without Bo with you because you guys used to uh double up on me when we did these nfc west crossovers cardinals 49ers i got myself a co-host this offseason so at least it's an even fight when we talk now but uh, uh now it's now it's it's your turn to have Matt Williamson and Brian Peacock go two-on-one with you. But, no, I appreciate you joining the show and, and trying to give us some insight on what's going on with these Cardinals because they're a team that's pretty hard to figure out at this time of the year because they're good. But how good are they? I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, like, <laughs> so, like, it's this is what we experienced last year. Super top-heavy. 
came out gangbusters. And after the Hale Murray uh, against ball against Buffalo last year, things kind of fell off a cliff a little bit. Uh, Kyler Murray was injured last year. So it's a little different this year. They came out like a Super Bowl contender through the first half of the season, even though they lost Thursday night against uh, Aaron Rodgers at home, um, you know, with a, a bad Rasul Douglas interception, right. You know, right at the end of the game, things kind of felt weird over the last three weeks before they beat the Cowboys, Rams, Lions, and Colts. It's like, Oh no, not again. Um, and I've been in the camp that Cliff Kingsbury is not the guy. Bo, my co-host, disagrees. But as of right now, that win in Dallas just shows that the NFL is a fickle, whatever expletive you want to use here. You mm. never know. There's no there's no reason why the Cardinals should have won in Dallas with how we saw them play the three weeks previous. So I don't know. I do know they're going to be in the playoffs. And I do know that when the lights are brightest, we're going to find out what this team is made of. 100% Alex. I mean, I, I think I'm on your side on Kingsbury. I'm certainly on your side of what I expected this last week. And I know they've crumbled down the stretch. This is the first year this has happened. But I also think that when you invest heavily in the offseason in old players, Watt, Hudson, AJ Green, et cetera, et cetera, that you kind of have to, you get what you, you know, you should expect it a little bit. You know I mean? Watt's probably their best defensive player. And he's been out for a while. Hudson was really missed. Yeah. Um, Rodney Hudson has been the savior of all of this. Yeah, now yeah. I, I agree with you when it comes to some sort of veteran leadership for most teams, because most teams have a strong leadership structure. Most is loosely defined, you know, at least, you know, a hand, mo- most good teams, have a leadership structure, whether it be the coach, the quarterback, or whatever. Uh, they don't really get that with Cliff. He's really coming to his own this year. But what we saw when they brought everybody in was every young player had a veteran buddy, I guess you could say, at their position. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, like Colt yeah. McCoy was huge for Kyler Murray. Colt McCoy won two football games this year. Rodney Hudson, for the entirety of the offensive line, he's the spine of that line. You can see they protect Kyler when he's there, and they don't when he's not. And then you have J.J. Watt coming in for Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins. And it was supposed to be Malcolm Butler for the young DB group that kind of Buda Baker had to take over. So where they came in, and A.J. Green for the wide receiver room with DeAndre Hopkins out, where they came in position-wise, it makes a lot of sense because they needed a culture shift immediately. They needed a foundational strength immediately. And they got it. J.J. Watt not being on the field doesn't matter. He's in the locker room. He's with this team. That's what that dude just there are few people in the NFL that can just come in and embrace and change a culture of an organization that's been a losing organization pretty much in perpetuity. You know, save a couple of years, save one Super Bowl run, and then a couple of years with BA. So yeah, the older the elder statesmen um, maybe haven't put up the numbers, but we've seen a huge shift in just how the team carries itself uh, since they've come in. Lastly, on that, I, I I think a lot of it when it happened, I said this often was. They're going to miss Larry's leadership. You know, I mean, Larry's been such a foundation for this organization since I knew him at Pitt. I, I mean, that you, know, you lose a guy like that in the locker room. Let's bring in a few to you know pick that up. Larry Fitzgerald is one of the more interesting topics we've had this year. Um, <laughs> so, yes, 100%. Larry Fitzgerald will go down as the greatest athlete to ever play in Arizona, whether it be off the field, on the field, philanthropically, what he does in business after he's destined for incredible things. Now, he got paid double what any other team would have paid him over the last three years. <laughs> exactly. Okay, yeah. so can we have a conversation? Like, Larry Fitzgerald is a businessman, okay? I still think that he hasn't ruled out retirement because if they offer him $10 million next year, he may come back. But it's not, he's like, to me, 
I'm good. To me, I'm good. He says it subtly. They haven't offered him enough money, in my opinion. Bo disagrees with me. I'm not speaking for the podcast. But yeah, Larry Fitzgerald led in a different way, though. The Arizona as an entity, has never had a real, like, rah-rah leader guy that's also the best player on the team ever. Paul Goldschmidt, Steve Nash, uh, Shane Doan with the Coyotes. Like, there's never been a guy that'll just run in and want to rip your face off or bite your kneecaps off, you know? And Larry Fitzgerald wasn't that either. He was just the consummate 100% flip the ball to the ref after a touchdown pro. That's what he was and it's what he continues to be. So lead by example – the dictionary definition is Larry Fitzgerald. Love the Shane Doan reference. I did not expect yeah, wow. uh, that to be it's popping up on the podcast. The only <laughs> hockey player I know. Mario Lemieux. I know him. Yeah, there we go. 99. Uh, how about... 66. Uh, or 66. Sorry. 66. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew, I knew you, it was Matt. two of the... Yeah, sorry. That's a, that's, a, that's a Pittsburgh guy, too. I can't believe I got that wrong. Yeah, 66. I flipped it upside down. Um, uh, so, Kyler Murray, I want to go back to that really quick because mm-hmm. you mentioned his injuries last year, injuries this year. Is this a, a worrisome situation with uh, – is this just as simple as, okay, running quarterback gets hurt, just like running running backs get hurt, and anybody who gets hit in the NFL is going to get injured? Is this something where he has to uh, change the way he plays during the course of his career? Or are these just, you know, whatever, some minor injuries that pop up and it happens sometimes and it's not a worry at all? Uh, what, what's the injury situation with Kyler Murray, and is he 100%? Is he – in that in that mode right now of a quarterback that is going to take a team deep into the playoffs um i'm going to answer your first question first where the former if he's going to be injured or the latter he's just kind of it, you know little scrapes and sprains and whatever i think it's the latter uh we've had steven baca his trainer on and longtime friend uh since they were in so- they were sophomore year he's been training kyler and they do stuff all the time to try and keep his body like pound for pound the best like you know floyd mayweather is smaller than you and me peacock like it's just like but he's just an absolute machine for his size kyler's like that you know what we've seen and it's translated to wins this year is he doesn't have to run to win what we saw last year and the year before was that wasn't the case so he's not lamar jackson he's more of a russell wilson-y where maybe between the two you know russell wilson only runs when it's given to him He's like in front of the line of scrimmage is lava, which is what Kyler wants to get to because you don't want to put him in any sort of situation like that. I think it really comes down to the most human way to look at it is he's never touched in his life playing football. He's never gotten real huge hits. He's always been the fastest guy in the field. He's gone down as arguably the best uh, uh, quarterback to ever come out of the state of Texas. Nobody caught him in Oklahoma, and he's so cognizant of sliding down two yards early Instead of like he's doing the Ladalian Tomlinson approach of running out of bounds two yards early instead of taking those hits, um, I think that's going to fare very well for him moving forward. Everybody's going to get beat up, and he got rolled up on. Anybody could get rolled up on, mm-hmm. and he got rolled up on against Green Bay on the last play of the game or second to last. But, oh, and, and to answer your second part, yes, I think that what we saw in Dallas was okay, you know what, there's resolve with him. He's quiet. You're starting to see him more come out of his shell. But again, he's a leader by example. He's always been the best player on the field in his life. He's always been the best player on the field. And then, you know, now it's when you have adversity and DeAndre Hopkins is out. He's only been with James Conner for 15 weeks and A.J. Green, etc. It's a bunch of new pieces on offense. I think that they have a deep playoff run in them. Yes. Two of the newest pieces on defense, the last two first-round pick linebackers, I think are – unbelievably intriguing physically. And I'm just curious if you agree with me, because I think Isaiah Simmons has taken a massive step forward. I think he's out of the woods. He's going to be a really good player. 
I'm not yet sure on Collins, but part of me just thinks the poor guy's stuck behind Jordan Hicks, who everyone kind of counted for dead, and he's a really good player too. Yeah. Uh, the interesting part about both of them, yes, to, to your point, absolutely on both of them. Isaiah Simmons, the reason why it's not Isaiah Simmons' fault that the Cardinals should have drafted an offensive lineman at eight, and there were all of them. Tristan Wirfs rated higher than any court, whatever, that in the Super Bowl era, whatever it was. I don't know if it was a rookie or offensive tackle to begin. They had, it's not his fault that he's not an offensive lineman. Okay. And it's not his fault that Vance Joseph at all didn't know how to use him because he played every position in Clemson at Clemson. So yes, he's starting to come into his own. I think when it comes to Zavin Collins, even more so, it's not his fault that Steve Kime drafted him. They should have drafted a corner or an inside defensive lineman, or an offensive lineman. Like, this is a Steve Kahn thing, but the fact that the Cardinals drafted him, what we're going to see is if Steve Kahn and Cliff Kingsbury have learned from the Hassan Reddick debacle, where they played him at three different positions yeah. after drafting him 13 overall at a temple, and he had, through his first three years and his last year in college, he had four different defensive schemes to learn. He's under. He's an undersized pass rusher, and what we're seeing in Carolina is finally somebody just puts him in his C quarterback, hit quarterback, and he's flourishing. And that's what that's what he did the last year with the Cardinals. I think that they're seeing that as a cautionary tale for Zayvon Collins, and they're you know what? Let's play him where he's best and move around everything else instead of just throwing him inside and hoping that he can learn pretty much a brand new position. Like he's played inside in college at Tulsa, but look at him. He's great in coverage, but he is an absolute physical specimen. More with Alex Clancy coming up. Who should the Cardinals hope they play in the first round of the NFC playoffs? And a couple of dynasty wide receiver questions that Matt and I teased yesterday in the mailbag coming up. I've got an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. It is called GetUpside. I downloaded this app and uh, I'm blown away how easy it is to get cash back when you're getting gas. Go get the the best deal on gas you can get you open it up there's a map it says here's a gas station here's the deal you can get 25 cents back per gallon when you go fill up here you claim it great you go you get gas and you get that money in your account it's super easy uh, i don't know why anybody who gets gas would not use this app and it's not just gas either you can find some other deals at get upside just download the free get upside app use promo code touchdown and get a 25 cents per gallon bonus as well on your first fill up. So that's up to 50 cents cash back on your first fill up. Don't pay don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Uh, you can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal. You can do an e-gift card or uh, a number of brands you can get a gift card if you want to buy a gift for somebody with your cash back that you receive from get upside just download the free get upside app use promo code touchdown and get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank again that is promo code touchdown with the get upside app alex clancy of locked on cardinals joining us today it's been pretty amazing to see how that defense has taken shape in arizona because there's a lot of those athletes where they're a great football player and a, and a great prospect, but how exactly do they fit in from the honey badgers of the world type <laughs> players to um, what style of corner Byron Murphy's going to be to obviously Buda Baker and then the two linebackers and uh, even the defensive linemen, there's a lot of, you know, Watson inside out sort of a guy. And, and so uh, that's fascinating because it might not be 
always the, uh, the the immediate success you want, but then when you see these players take shape and you see a defense start to be able to utilize a guy like Zayvon Collins, who's built like a defensive end who can rush off the edge or be a linebacker or uh, the speed and athleticism of a linebacker and a slash safety. Uh, and, and so it's pretty cool to watch, and I'm excited to see how this defense takes shape. Is there anything on the defensive side of the ball you're worried about going into uh, January? It should be everything. There's no reason why this defense is playing as well as it is. Like, there aren't the stars on defense that have this kind of output. You got to give credit to Vance Joseph. Buda Baker and Jalen Thompson, in my opinion, are the best safety duo in football. Just because they're not household names yet, Buda Baker is becoming because of his big hits and it taking him 30 seconds to pull down Dak Prescott last week behind the line of scrimmage. Because, But Jalen Thompson out of Washington State, supplemental draft pick a couple years ago, is an absolute smasher. I mean, you could call them two little uh, Bob Sanders out there and, and say, like, they hit people very hard. And luckily, they stay healthier than Bob Sanders did. But Bo and I talked before the season started. We were like, this pass rush has to be immaculate because this cornerback room is terrible. Like, it, it's terrible. Byron Murphy played inside. He's never been a CB1, let alone even an outside corner for an extended period of time. Marco Wilson out of Florida, the, the, the shoe thrower, has really come into his own um, as, as the CB2 and then Robert Alford hadn't played it down in two years since the Cardinals had drafted it. And since the Cardinals had signed him, Malcolm Butler was supposed to be the guy. But now what we've seen is Malcolm Butler wasn't going to get the snaps because Byron Murphy is a CB1, even though he's kind of regressed a little bit. But really, this defense is the safeties kind of having a pulse on everything. The pass rush is there some of the time. It's really a makeshift defense, it looks like. But Jordan Hicks has been a vision. Like, it's just... They're a working man's defense, and they're just – I mean, they're putting opposing offenses on skates. They're not perfect, but they're definitely – they're good enough to where the offense can flourish, and that's what you need. We mentioned DeAndre Hopkins earlier, and maybe he's lost a step. Maybe his style of play, it doesn't matter if he's lost a step because, I mean, he's, he's open when he's covered anyways. But I thought his presence was really missed these couple weeks leading up to the Dallas. It's interesting because I have been – I have been on the give him Devontae Adams targets. What yeah. are you doing? Why is this happening? But, I mean, th- my favorite stat that makes me want to throw up, but this is my favorite stat from last year, is Devontae Adams had more red zone receptions than DeAndre Hopkins had targets. And it's like, how is that possible, especially after you pay him a boatload of money? He in my Before the season started, he's my wide receiver one in the NFL because he's always open. Like, it doesn't matter scheme. Run, turn around, catch ball. It doesn't matter if he's got two guys on him. He's got the best hands in the game, in my opinion. Like Now they're kind of using him as more of a decoy, and A.J. Green being a bookend on the other side allows this whole offense to open up because the best part of this offense, which is crazy, is James Conner. It like, is. <laughs> and, it, and when they signed him, I'm like, all right, like right, they're punting on the, on the running back position. He's probably going to get hurt, but what they did was – they figured out a way to keep him in space and not to get beat up between the tackles. Like they didn't Arian Foster him, which is which is the phrase that I use where it's like the Pittsburgh did. And look at what happened. Pittsburgh did for one year and look what happened. And the fact that Chase Edmonds is back and James Conner is back, that is going to be the struggle for opposing defenses when DeAndre Hopkins comes back to have AJ Green on the outside. That op- that middle is wide open. And that's more what DeAndre Hopkins' role is now. Except for, you know, timely. Obviously, he's going to get six, seven targets a game. But it's not the target share that he got in Houston. So I don't know if he's regressed. He's never been fast. 
So yeah. you're, I think you're right. I mean, I think he'll have some longevity in this league if his if his body can hold up. It's going to be a fun tournament to watch in January. Uh, the Cardinals, the Bucks, the Cowboys. The Cards just beat the Cowboys. I mean, the Packers seem like they're the clear favorite right now just because everything has to go through cold weather, Green Bay. But everybody else, I mean, it is a toss-up with what's going on with the Bucks and the injuries. And none of these teams are perfect. So I can't wait to see how this all plays out in January. And we'll see who comes out at the top of the NFC West. The Cardinals need a Rams loss, and they obviously have to win to have that NFC West title that they looked like they had locked up earlier on in the season. Uh, Alex, real quick, what is your prediction here for week 18 and where the Cardinals will finish this year? This is like Bo wants to play the Cowboys and I want the 49ers it, because it's it's a home game. It's a home game. Mm-hmm. Like the Cardinals have played terribly at home, comparatively speaking. They've won one road loss to Detroit, but it's home. And you know what? I'd rather play a banged-up Jimmy G or Trey Lance, even though Trey Lance looked, I, I mean, sweet mother, what happened last week? Like, where did that come from? Um, and Debo Samuel is going to be a wide receiver, a top-five wide receiver in perpetuity, it seems like. Um, I'm so scared of that Dallas Cowboys offense on paper just because, I mean, they're the best offense in the NFL, you know, and it takes one game for them to put up a 40-burger and the Cardinals are out of the playoffs. I'd rather play an ugly game against San Francisco than have to potentially put up 35 points against Dallas. So I don't know. I mean, I think the Rams are going to lose to the 49ers on Sunday. I do. Um, and we'll see if Russell Wilson plays. Like, if I'm Seattle, I'm sitting him because he's your best trade asset. Like, I don't understand. They have nothing to play for. So, Peacock, we could be doing a crossover in, you know, a week and – I would rather that, but it's it's a lesser of two evils for sure. Right. Yeah. Is, is, is Bo's logic just we just beat Dallas, bring them on again? And Kyler hasn't lost at AT&T Stadium. Yeah. Okay. That's all. And yeah. Dak, like, I mean, they looked terrible. They looked terrible against the Cardinals, and it wasn't like they had ten penalties. Every big play, every chunk play was taken back. Like they're in disarray. But I still think that Dak and that offense. And then having Trevon Diggs and Michael Parsons, even though San Francisco scares, it's hard to beat a team three times in one year. And you, the Cardinals haven't played them fully healthy yet. Like It's just a lesser of two evils. If you want to hear more of Bo and Alex disagreeing, go check out the Locked On Cardinals podcast every day right here on the network. Find Alex at Clancy's Corner on Twitter. Alex, always a pleasure. Appreciate you jumping on the show today. Thanks, guys. It's been fun. And yes, I just do want to say that, yeah, Gretzky 99, Lemieux 66. I did know that, uh, although it's been a long time since in my prime hockey days, which is probably uh, playing NHL 96 button mashing on the Super Nintendo or whatever it was at that point. Okay, we promised some questions, Matt. So let's get to a couple of Twitter questions here before we go. And if we have time, we'll hit some more of these tomorrow. Uh, I want to start with this one because it's interesting. RJ Hollywood says, Coach of the Year should absolutely go to Matt LaFleur. The bias because he's got Rodgers isn't fair. 39-9 and in the regular season. Uh, he's won games this year without David Bakhtiari and Zedarius Smith and Jair Alexander for 10 of 14 weeks. Elkin Jenkins has been out 6 of 14 weeks. What do you think? Is it is it that simple? It's Matt LaFleur, period, winning 13 games in three straight years. Look, you can't count past season's success in this year's Coach of the Year voting. It's only for this year, so let's count this record, which is still really good. But I will say, my my one counter to that, and I agree, I would vote for Matt LaFleur, but my one counter is, what's his record without Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> right? And he, they didn't win 
that game with Jordan Love in there at quarterback. Um, not that you would expect them to, but that makes it stronger for Aaron Rodgers' MVP vote than even Matt LaFleur's Coach of the Year vote, in my opinion, although I think they would both get my vote for both of those awards. Um, first off, I don't have a strong, strong take on who should be Coach of the Year. So some of you Twitter you know, listeners want to shoot some at me and state your case a little bit. I'm all ears. Um, I, I like this question a lot about LaFleur. But I don't care what he did last year and the year before. I mean, that's not what the award is, so that doesn't matter. And I do certainly um, recognize that having Rodgers hurts his case. You know, that yeah. you know, insert Rodgers on the Falcons, Steelers, Washington, whomever, and maybe they'd be a heck of a lot better and maybe they'd even be a one seed. Who knows? He's that good. But I think LaFleur has pro- proven himself that he's not a fluky type head coach either. He's got a pretty darn strong resume as well yeah. as does Aaron Rodgers even though uh one particular writer uh probably shouldn't have said anything in public about how he thinks that Rodgers is a jerk and is not going to vote for him for MVP <laughs> which was I'm a funny sure story that matters, that but okay <laughs> shouldn't matter shouldn't matter he might get stripped of his voting privileges actually because he probably should not have been saying that publicly even if he felt it privately um to Zachary a couple of we teased a couple of dynasty questions here yesterday so let's get to these two and then finish it up today uh Zachary says which of these two receivers on non-playoff teams will have a better 2022 season Braxton Berrios with the Jets or Amonra St. Brown with the Lions I think this is pretty simple Matt do you think it's as simple as I do what's your answer first St. Brown I mean by far to be honest with you I'm impressed I'm impressed with Berrios has done I look at that more as Berrios has proven that he should get a paycheck for the next three, four years and see the field 50% of the snaps when Elijah Moore and Corey Davis are healthy or whomever. And, you know, good. You you picked up a guy on the cheap that's going to help you for a while. I look at St. Brown and think, well, again, definitely check out today, I guess it is, Locked on Dynasty because we spent the whole episode talking about St. Brown. And Ryan and I both came to the conclusion that He's probably overvalued right now because his value is skyrocketing because you got to think when the Lions probably are going to add some kind of outside receiver, maybe even a first round pick Hawkinson Swift comes back. I mean, St. Brown's not going to get the volume he has the last couple weeks, but unlike Barrios, I think he's deserving of he's now like an every week fantasy starter still, you know, or, you know, a wide receiver three in fantasy or a wide receiver two in the real world. I mean, like, He's not leaving the field. I would I would put them both in the category of if I had them in a dynasty league, I would try to trade them because I think their value is at yeah, an all-time yeah. high. I think St. Brown ultimately is sort of a number two type wide receiver who's getting number one usage right now, and I don't think that's going to continue through the rest of his career, although he's a solid player. So if you can't get anything in return, you keep him, and you have a, a startable player next year because he might still be the number one again next year if they don't add anybody. And it depends on what their their quarterback situation is going to be. I think they've had to throw from behind a lot, and I don't know if that's going to be a high-volume passing game going forward for the Lions, ideally, uh, in Dan Campbell's mind next year. Uh, with Berrios, they have a better slot guy who just happens to be hurt right now in uh, and I know he's one of your favorites in Elijah Moore. the rookie Elijah Moore, right? So I think Barrios might have earned money as somebody else's slot guy. Maybe he goes back to New England where he was drafted, or I, mean, I might have been undrafted free agent. I can't remember. He started with the Patriots, mm-hmm. but he's that you know little you know uh, Hunter Renfro type. He's that little classic 
tough, can get open, can make catches, slot guy. I don't think there's enough balls to go around for him with the Jets. I think maybe if if you can get somebody that wants to to trade for him, if he ends up in a different situation, maybe then he could be the the pure target hog sort of slot guy for another team, but he's not even the best slot guy on that roster. Uh, So, yeah, I would take St. Brown long-term easily over Berrios because I don't know where Berrios' targets are going to come from next year with a healthy Elijah Moore who should dominate the slot for them. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree on all accounts. DK Metcalf is a very interesting one. He had a huge week for fantasy owners that made the playoffs with DK uh, on their roster, but he was a disappointment all year, as were pretty much everybody on the entire Seahawks roster, except for Penny and DK down the stretch there. Um, Anthony wants to know, how's DK's dynasty stock been affected by Seattle's poor performance this season? And what if Wilson gets traded at the end of the season? It hurts to see such an athlete wasting away in Seattle. Uh, yeah, that one really hurts because it's such a good combination. Like the combination of right, such right. a great deep ball thrower and Russell Wilson with DK. I mean, that's that should be dynasty gold and fantasy gold. And if you lose that, then you do start to get worried about DK. Although uh, I think he's such a beast, his usage will be okay no matter who the quarterback is. Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you said. And just to kind of give you the the dynasty history on DK. Like pretty much in the preseason and in the offseason before this season started, he was in contention for number all, number one overall dynasty wide receiver with guys like AJ Brown. You know, I mean, other young studs. You know that uh, you know he's a great player, good situation. Now I'm guessing you know he's probably eighth, ninth amongst receivers. You know, well behind. Jamar Chase, Jefferson, Lamb, though even like Adams and Hill at this point. And my worry is without Wilson, he could be McLaurin or DJ Moore. Like there, he's not going to go away. But you look at Moore and McLaurin and think, boy, what if they were a Packer? Or, you know, I mean, or, you know, yeah. or, or Judy or some of these guys that are really good players. They're still very fantasy and dynasty worthwhile, but they know, won't reach their potential. And that's probably my hunch of what will happen to DK in the next year or two. And I think this year might be the floor for DK. So I would put him in the opposite right. category is I'm trying to trade for DK this offseason if I can, because you might get uh, one of the top you know, couple of wide receivers in the NFL and you might not have to pay that price right now. And you'd pay a little Mm -hmm. bit of cheaper price than you did last year. And look, if they're going to blow the thing up in Seattle and trade Russell Wilson, why not trade DK too? So who knows? Maybe he does end up with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I guess that's possible too. I mean, he would bring (laughs) back a ton if they're totally rebuilding. Um, Yeah. I do like the idea of buying him at a discount right now though, because his stock is lower than his talent. Right, and I believe in DK. I think he's a beast. In, Me too. You know, and just the NFL's crazy. You go up and down. It's never linear with production and development and all those things. So, you know, buy low. Buy low, sell high, right? Yeah, without question. All right, let's get out of here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for all the questions. Appreciate Alex Clancy of Locked On Cardinals jumping on with us today. Let's start previewing week 18 and some very good, very good, basically playoff games coming up this week right here. Peacock and Williamson.